podcast informs listeners that the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed solely belong to the host and not necessarily to their employer or any other group of individuals. It is not a research report. It is not a recommendation to buy or sell any security. It is for informational purposes only and should not be construed otherwise. It's November 17, 2019, and this is Nikki U for the Faces Trader podcast. Well, if you're in my inner circle, you would have learned that the most monster move that I have been talking about for this entire week would have to be Luckin Coffee. And I think Luckin Coffee shouldn't even be called Luckin Coffee if the earnings has been going higher, or, or rather, sorry, there's no earnings yet, but the sales have been rising because of Luckin milk teas, specifically the Ruby guava cheese tea. So just to tell you what happened, Luckin coffee went from 20 bucks to close at about 15% higher the next day and about 25% the next day after, which means that from 20, it reached $27. This is a company that was supposed to be the rival of Starbucks in China. But the reality is, I would say that Luckin Tea, Luckin Coffee, which is the owner of Luckin Tea or Xiaolu, Xiaolu Tea, which is Fawn Tea, is actually more a milk tea play than a coffee play. And to compare one Starbucks store of a one Luckin tea is very wrong because Luckin looks more like a 7-Eleven kiosk rather than a Starbucks. So we have to explain why and cover why maybe Luckin tea, which is currently after that 35% pop, $6.36 billion market cap, still merits a good look and merits a watch list for all of you. Just to give another um, update, Conagra Foods, which is our pick since $627, is now hitting $28.8 or roughly $29. Slowly but surely, this 3% dividend yield play is going up. This is our refrigerated foods and snacks plant-based dividend pick. Um, it's also noteworthy to say that from a technical signal, CrowdStrike, sig CrowdStrike Holdings, which went from low of 40 Nine thereabouts, it gave a buy signal at 52, technically, is now closing in at about 59.75. We don't cover CrowdStrike yet, but we will try to study it. But it's important to show that for this week, the highly valued SaaS companies or unicorns, such as CrowdStrike or Slack, PagerDuty, each rose with a 5% pop, even Zoom video is now up $70, which is, I mean, it's now trading at $70 off 10% up from its current 52-week low of 63. So there's a watch list to, to bear in mind. Uh, with Datadog also reporting earnings strongly this week, it, uh, it really saved a lot of SaaS companies. Uh, Elastic, which is a high price to sales, have also started coming out, coming back. Elastic has bottomed out from about $70. It's now trading at $73.74. Take a look at Elastic. Elastic is something that we like. We mentioned that Elastic is uh, the search engine 
for real-time data, useful for Tinder, useful for Uber, <laughs> useful for Wikipedia, and the like. Another news that we should share for the week is Farfetch. So Farfetch has jumped nearly 30% last Friday, closing at $9.67 following the firm's third quarter earnings report. The luxury fashion marketplace announced an, unadjust, an adjusted loss per share of $0.18 cents compared to last year's $0.15 cent loss, and Wall Street actually predicted a loss of $0.25. Cents. So this is better than expected. Revenues had shot up 90% year-over-year to $255 million, as Farfetch even confirmed that it will expect to break even in 2021. In a conference call with analysts, founder, co-chair, and CEO Jose Nevis said the firm logged about 1.9 million active customers by the end of September. The report noted that the value of merchandise sold on the website reached $492 million, which is a 60% gain from the prior year period. So Farfetch actually is a 30% pop. Uh, notice that Farfetch shared that New Guard's roster of brands sold more on Farfetch in Q3 than any other single brand, specifically calling out the performance of Virgil Abloh's Off-White, which Nevis said became the site's number one most searched luxury brand ahead of more established heritage brands on the website, including Burberry, Gucci, Prada, and Yves Saint Laurent. So Farfetch is explaining that their purchase of New Guards Group was a good thing. Note that in the last quarter, actually um, prior to the earnings quarter, Farfetch tanked when it acquired New Guards Group, which is the owner of Off-White. So this quarter is a vindication that Farfetch buying those Virgil Abloh Off-Whites was not really a bad decision, even if it was worth $600 million for them. Gucci, Fenda, and Stella McCartney are just some of the big names in the Farfetch Limited lineup, a sign that luxury labels are making the shift online to follow luxury shoppers. The market for personal global luxury products is in the shift from a, in the midst of a structural shift to online. So, so far, all the e-commerce names have been going up. Uh, we've seen SE, which is the owner of Shopee, go up 18% pop. Uh, Farfetch this week, 30% pop. So the most likely trajectory for Farfetch is to go from about 9 low to about 12 to 15 within the next few months. So Farfetch is the best position to be capitalized on the multi-year transition in the more than $300 billion marketplace, with Farfetch yielding a forecast of 16% revenue growth over the next decade, especially helped by the luxury consumer in China and other emerging markets. Fashion forward uh, retail platform, luxury retail platform Farfetch sells products from over 700 boutiques and global brands. Headquartered in London, offices in 11 cities, 3,000 staff, the e-commerce company lo operates local language websites and mobile apps. Farfetch has a Share target rating about $16. UBS rates it at $15 because of the Farfetch reporting low, lower than expected losses in the third quarter. So, this company has been acquisitioning companies since IPO. We saw them buy Stadium Goods, we saw them um, buying Off Whites. So the narrative of enabling a more rapid adoption of online shopping with the broader luxury e-commerce landscape hasn't stopped. 
Um, investors have been continuing to question the longer-term growth, the margin profile of these luxury e-commerce websites, but we don't see this thesis, uh, the long-term thesis hasn't really changed. The structural shift in the global luxury market going online is still there. So with a price target of about 15 bucks, 15 to 16 bucks, and the current shares at nine, this presents a tremendous value. So we put this in our turnaround. Uh, entry would be from $9 to $9.50 or $0.65. Your stop loss is $8. You've got about a 20% stop loss, 10 to 20% stop loss for a 50 to 60% upside move in the next 3 to 12 quarters. The target allocation should be about 2% of your portfolio. So this is far-fetched. It's essentially the Lazada for luxury. Take note that Farfetch is the partner of JD in China and we have really um, we've really sh shown you that splurging 675 million dollars acquiring guard group was felt by some people as a wrong thing this is the first quarter that Jose Navis the CEO defended that that 675 million dollars buying guard group is actually a good thing and um, the market appreciated that they bought this this acquisition, which is the first and number one most searched brand in their site. So in a way, um, there's a reason to like Farfetch. The other company that I wanted us to talk about would be definitely, um, let's just talk about a little, a little topic on the SaaS companies. When we, take, when we talk about SaaS, we're talking about software as a service names. So a lot of people talk about the foundation of the SaaS, meaning Amazon Web Services, Microsoft Azure, Office 365, and Google's cloud platform. And they are the trillion-dollar companies that we have today. However, behind them are also mission-critical products with very high switching costs. Shopify, ServiceNow, Salesforce, Atlassian, Twilio, Adobe, maybe Square, but we're not sure if Square or Stripe or PayPal or Visa, MasterCard, because these are the companies that are being used as payments on a lot of e-commerce sites, especially for Shopify. Shopify uses Stripe. Uh, there's a lot of good products and high switching costs. Workday, Elastic, The Trade Desk, Splunk, DocuSign, MongoDB, Paycom, Viva. Zendesk, HubSpot, Alteryx, Okta. And you see that there are very good products that are very niche. They haven't been, um, they have competition and they have replacements, but are they able to defend themselves well? These are your Zoom, your Slack, your PagerDuty, Datadog, New Relic, Zwara, Anaplan, Smartsheet, Yext, APN, Wix. These are software as a service companies that have that we've seen bottoming out these past few days especially this week especially with datadog rising from about uh it was trading at about 30 and hit 40 this week so that was a very strong move for datadog and datadog is expensive actually it's a 10 billion dollar company with only 400 million dollars of sales so this is trading at about 25 times price of sales i would be very careful in entering these companies but it's worth it's noteworthy to um, be aware that the unicorns are bottoming out it's also important to say that um, when you look at fund manager positions um, 
whales, the whales, they're mostly holding positions on average about 12 quarters or more. The top holders, uh, the top, I mean, the top performing fund managers, they don't move their top 20 holdings as much as you think. Their top 20 holdings comprise 60 to 70% of their positions and they've averaged held it for 12 quarters. That means they've been holding this for three years or more. And even if they may hold 50 to 70 positions at any given moment in time, their top 20 is the 70%, meaning 70% of their holdings definitely are just held. They're not just buying and selling, buying and selling, buying and selling. That's not the right way. This only shows you that if a whale owns a 2% weight in a portfolio, it's considered something that is their full-size positions. That 2% weight could grow 5 to 6% of their positions over time if this company goes up 40, 100% within those three years. But essentially, they would hold it such a way that their 2 times 20 or 40% allocation becomes 60 to 70% of their total weighting of their portfolio of their top 20 holdings. Meaning they would hold it if there is a reason to hold it because it's a winner. This only shows to you that if you want to win, you've got to buy and hold it at least for 6 to 12 quarters. 12 quarters is 3 years. Um, I'd like you to also read a Peter Lynch quote. Uh, I've shared it that the stock market has been on a bull run for more than 10 years now. Is it time for investors to trim their exposure for stocks? Peter Lynch said that long term, the stock market is a very good place to be. It could be you know, a coin flip waiting for a correction, anticipating corrections than in the actual corrections. And most people lose money waiting for corrections and trying to time the market. It means that most of the top managers know that there will be times when there's a 10% drop. There will be times when um, you have to sell a stock. But the reason why Peter Lynch decides to sell is exactly the same reason why he buys it. When he buys it, he needs to know if the company is going from crummy to getting better or from plenty of cash to going bankrupt. If the company is going bankrupt and the story is deteriorating, then you should start selling it. But if the story is intact and growing and growing, then you should hold on. So essentially, the entire interview of Peter Lynch, I shared the link. Uh, it's in fidelity.com. You could read it in the inner circle. For those who aren't in the inner circle yet, you could message me on Viber. My name is Ciro, uh, my name is Nikki Yu for Faces Trader. You can search for me um, at, in Viber. It's 0917-804-6366. So essentially, the top uh, fund managers, their average turnover is merely 7% of their holdings. 6 to 7%, meaning if you have a 100% portfolio, if they are trimming their positions, it's very small. Um, so most people, I think the reason why we don't perform well is we keep on twisting and turning, twisting and turning. But that's the biggest mistake. The biggest mistake that individual investors make is that the public, as Peter Lynch said, is that we are very careful when we buy a house, when we buy a ref, when we buy a car. We will work hours to save $100 on a round-trip air ticket. But when we think about investing, we're putting $5,000 or $10,000 without even thinking. We're not researching. And that is total speculation. Individual investors should approach picking stocks as if they are buying companies. And if the company is doing well and over time, the stocks should do well. Because stocks are not lottery tickets. They are companies. And you have to research companies. 
So 90% of investors who make careful decisions actually make money. Whereas the people who try to time the market, they try to speculate, they overweight 20% of their portfolio or 50% of their portfolio in just one to two names. And if those names fall, then their portfolio is already skewed downwards. Or if those names go up, then their portfolio is skewed upwards. And that is the mistake. <clears throat> That's why they have to be disciplined in their cut losses, etc. But if you could be disciplined in how you buy and have an investor's mindset, have 20 companies spread it around and buy slow then you would even if you have a weakness in your timing then the two percent times 20 it's 40 percent allocation you have 60 percent cash to find out if those 20 companies are losers or not and if you have a winner you can keep adding on to your winners so everyone else who spent their life trying to time the market is actually in the 10 percent um winning bracket meaning 90 percent of them lose money the reason is just really probabilities and statistics 90 percent of people who try to time the market are speculating and they will lose money because they're over trading because if you're buying and holding a 20 percent size a five percent sell-off which can happen any day tomorrow whether trump says something or not it will mean a one to two percent portfolio hit and at some point and at some moment in time all of those cut losses would be a huge percentage drop in your portfolio. So the concept of having a 2% weight in a single stock is very conservative for most retail pay people, but the most fund managers worldwide would never even hold a more than 10% weight in a single name, except for a very few beings, except if like it's an index weighting, like in the SM investments in the Philippines, that's 10-13%. Warren Buffett is a concentrated type of investor holding 25% weight in his Apple. Coca-Cola is 33% of his investment when he started investing in it. But we aren't Warren Buffett or Bill Gates owning 50% of his entire net worth in Berkshire Hathaway or Mark Cuban owning 50% of his entire net worth in Amazon even if he's billion dollars or more. When you're saying 50% of your net worth is in Amazon, you know Mark Cuban, 50% of his that means a billion dollars. He has a billion dollars in Amazon. Um, it's very hard to be like them. Maybe for Mark Cuban, he can sleep well at night with a billion dollars. If you can sleep well owning 50% of your entire portfolio in Microsoft, it's great for you. So I think it's a case-to-case -case basis. I personally had 9% waiting in Disney. With that 10% pop this week, I trimmed one-third of it. So I now just have 6% waiting on Disney. It really depends on how you want your allocation to be. But I think it's good to sleep well at night owning about 2% to about as maximum 9% waiting on any single company. So the end is that you just have to realize that 90% of people who do invest make money and the discipline comes from what they buy, how they buy, which is gradual, quarter, every quarter, every quarter. So no matter how much you make money or how much you like a company, allocate about maximum 9%. So you should always know why you are investing in the stock. You should know if you are betting on a turnaround or value and so forth. Um, so what's a good way to begin investing in stocks? Peter Lynch said, you know, you start with a paper portfolio. You're going to put another X amount of dollars in the portfolio, say $10,000. Even it's paper or even if it's a 100000 paper portfolio, make it big. Pick five companies to buy and ask yourself why you're buying these five. 
It's not because the sucker is going up. That's not the right answer. You have to find out the reason why you like it. Example, if I like Puma, I like the athleisure trend, I like the brand influencers, I like the sales, I like the income, I like the upcoming lineup. You have to know for yourself why you're following them over time. And you have to see what you're good at. It's not because I understand. Um, it's not because, for instance... Oh, Alteryx is going up. I should have Alteryx. But if you can't understand the business of data analytics, you don't have to have it. What we're saying is, are you good at identifying you have to have an edge? Are you good at turnarounds? Is Puma a turnaround name? Are you good at value stocks? Is Berry Petroleum something you could value? Are you good at small companies? Is Lucky and Coffee a small company that you could understand? The most important thing is not the stock that went from 3 to 6 or 20 to 27. The question to ask yourself is, why did it go up? Why did it go up? That is what research is about. Did the company's fundamentals get better? For instance, like we know this week that Jollibee didn't do well in its earnings. So if you have it, let's say you have 2% waiting off it in your portfolio, you should expect a drop, right? So it depends. Um, should you add on your loser? We say no. You cannot add to your losers until it turns around. So, will it have a drawdown? Definitely. So, we, as an investor, you should be aware that you own a company trying to turn around itself to a high-growth company. And in itself, they have to deal with a lot of losses within those acquisitions. These losses will eat up on their existing recurring income, which is what happened in Jollibee's uh, third quarter report apparently this week so personally the question is do you have an edge edge comes from researching so even if let's assume we talk about slack pager duty workday atlassian i myself know that i have very limited knowledge such that my exposure to these companies should be at most four percent i couldn't invest too much on them because I don't adequately have a huge edge compared to somebody knowledgeable in the software business. So the question is, how can an investor like an average you and me get an edge? So ask yourself, can I analyze this company? Everybody has a good idea of what McDonald's does. But it's hard to analyze biotech or software companies. So ask yourself, do you know something about the company? Can you add more to the math? Do you have an edge? Let's say you're an interventional cardiologist and you know heart pumps. Wow, this is an incredible breakthrough, preventing shock, providing hemodynamic support. You're actually in the operating room seeing this breakthrough way ahead of most people and that is an edge. You just need an edge on something. For instance, most people think Adidas is the best seller, but Puma is growing very well these days. So Adidas, Nike, Puma, all of them are great companies, but is there a way for us to see that Nike at $110 billion market cap, Adidas at $50 billion market cap, and Puma at $10 billion market cap, is there a way for Puma to catch up? And lo and behold, Puma has been rising 200% in the last two years because they are doing things correctly. So you have to understand a few outperformers. Like I, per se, do not understand Neurocreen or Natera. They're very, growing very fast. They are gene testing kits, biotech. I don't understand them. They're in my list. I try to understand them.
You cannot just buy a company because it's rising and it's rising. Your portfolio will reflect yourself. For instance, if my portfolio has a lot of food, even a simple company like Yum China or Kellogg's or Conagra Foods or as I said, most burger, Yoshinoya, Kiko Man, Nissin Foods, it's because these things I could understand. But maybe I can't understand Eurocreen or Natera, you know. So I am a f- I'm just the same like you. Um, you know, we can understand Maxis, we can understand Shakey's Pizza, we can understand Jollibee. We know the pain points of Jollibee. So we can see a good product, but we can also see their mistakes. We also know that they have to fix their smash burger losses or else it will kill their own recurring income bread and butter, which is their chicken joys. Their 1.8 billion income this quarter was reduced to about 600 million pesos because of smash burger. You can imagine a billion pesos. That's not easy to find. That's not something that you can just, you know, can I write a check for a billion pesos every quarter? If I'm a Jollibee shareholder, I can't give the Tan Kakyong family that big billion every single quarter. It just has to stop. This bleeding has to stop. So we aren't in China. So maybe we're a bit late. Somebody in China has the edge. They knew that Luckin Coffee was never a Starbucks play. Luckin Coffee was more a milk tea play. The Luckin is a Luckin tea. Um, there's not much Chinese coffee demand. But the 35% pop means that the people are gun-ho because they realize the strength of the business. You know, Luckin Coffee is an IPO this year. Thought that, you know, it was an IPO that was not to be looked at. But after the earnings, I, I figured this company went from 20 to 27 in two days. I'm missing out. What is it that I'm wrong into? And perhaps my edge is that if I am wrong, I just don't stop in saying, okay, I'm wrong. I missed out. No, you have to study why you were wrong. And in general, I think most people know that Tesla beat earnings, but they just stopped at that. We have to go dig into it. Why did Tesla beat earnings? It's not because they sold 80,000 electric cars, although that's one of it, but because they have a million mile battery. You have that million mile battery where you can store. So, you know, everyone could say, They know that earnings is bad for Jollibee. They know that earnings is good for Disney. That's why Disney went from 30, 130 to 150. And there's like 10 million subscribers. You got to go deep down. Is 10 million subscribers enough to hit Disney? How many subscribers is it for them to break even on that $4 billion investment, $10 billion content spend? And sometimes the process is also that we could be wrong. Like Weipo, we were bullish here. But this week, Weipo went from 52 to 43. That drop came in because this company was thought to grow revenues. But in the end, the earnings showed, the report showed that the revenues was just growing 1 to 2%. So why are we paying so much for Weipo? Something like that. But Weipo is trading at about 13 times multiple now. So technically, it's still valuable. But you can see why people dumped it. It was supposed to be growing, but it's just growing 2%. Luckin Tea has been growing well because it's focusing on second, third, third, and fourth tier cities and casual leisure scenarios. The coffee brand is concentrating um, on all the workplace orders. 
Lockinty has adopted what it calls new retail partnership model, which is a franchising model to help it expand across cities in China without charging a franchise fee. You know how 7-Eleven mushroomed every single store in the Philippines? Like, there's about 5,000 7-Eleven, or is it, I don't know, are there like 10,000 7-Eleven stores? It's because they made their franchising fee zero or very low. And that's the Luckin Tea uh, combination. You can open your own Luckin Tea in your city and um, the company is applying so many items in their tea menu. They have 30 new beverages available including bubble tea, milk tea, fruit tea, macchiatos. Um, aside from that, coffee, snacks, and branded merchandise. They also announced the actor-singer Xian Xiao to be the face of Luckin Tea. So, Luckin has essentially become a milk tea play. It's more like a 7-Eleven milk tea kiosk play. No wonder they have 3,680 stores. Do you know that every three and a half hours, there's like a Luckin tea sprouting? It's like weeds. It's opening everywhere. Um, the name of their milk tea brand is Xiaolu Tea, which is Fawn Tea. So Luckin Coffee isn't competing with Starbucks. It's actually competing more with like 7-Eleven. That's why it explains that 600% revenue growth. They have some cute, colorful ch Starbucks products like Black Gold, which is essentially espresso with some elderflower syrup. What I'm saying is that Luckin is more like becoming the Nayuki tea and the Hay tea, even before Nayuki plans to list their own IPO. No wonder this chain is rising because they're not selling coffee. They're selling guava cheese ruby tea. That's the Luckin tea. I shared in the inner circle the pictures of Luckin tea. Look at their stores. No wonder 3,680 stores. They'll hit 4,500 stores within the end of the year because they're selling milk tea and their mobile deliveries. There's mobile apps. Luckin price they're offering this year at $17 per share. The company upsized this IPO to 33 million shares. From 17 last May, now it's about 27. Um, Luckin's retail business is essentially based on rapidly expanding their store network, tapping more customers through its mobile app. And the reality is who's winning in this game? It's not just Luckin Tea. Um, the company sending all these um, milk tea, which, which is the delivery. The deliveries are uh, SF, SF Holdings. That's the largest, like... Um, delivery app in china the second largest is zto express zto express is your kind of like your food panda so in the philippines for every serenity milk tea sold who's winning there it's either a grab food or an uber eats or a you know lala move lala food and all these things so that's also an important thing in fact one of china's richest men presiding over an army of eighty thousand couriers and 30 planes that is um Mr. Wang Wei of SF Express. So a few decades ago, Wang Wei was just personally lugging suitcases and backpacks across China's southern border, trying to make his fledgling Hong Kong-based courier business a success. Now he's China's third richest man, thanks to his newly listed company doing well on the Shenzhen Stock Exchange. This should be a wake-up call that companies like Ninja Van, LBC Express, To Go, all of these, um, Grab is going to make money delivering milk tea. Um, okay, um, let's just discuss more, but try to listen to the, try to check everything inside the inner circle. Thank you.